1: Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week we feature Level 5 drummer and founder Mark Feldman. How did he get Neil Peart's Chromey? We play smooth jazz in the gym and Osnoy helps us reach Level 5. Pick up Mark Feldman's Level 5 EP, Sybil, and follow him on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Buy stuff at www.performanceanx.threadless.com Enjoy Mark Feldman. And Mark Feldman's Level 5 This week on Performance Anxiety
2: This is Mark Feldman from Mark Feldman's Level 5 And you're listening to Performance Anxiety All right, man. Thanks, I appreciate it.
1: Oh no problem. I've got three teenagers right now, so it's, uh, I totally understand what you're going through. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. So. I'll bet you you know more than I know. That's for
1: sure. <laughs> it's. I'll tell you what. It, it's. It's. Uh, for me, I had three in diapers at the same time, so it was a little, little crazy.
2: Oh my god, dude! I don't know how you did that.
1: <laughs> I, I had a. Uh, let's see. Because oh, my kids right now are 14, 15, and 16.
2: Oh my god! That's so. insane.
1: Yeah, it was a little wild there for it was hairy for a couple of years, but it uh, we got it through. It's a blessing.
2: Oh, definitely, no doubt about it. But wow, yeah, Great, man, that you're a, you're a strong human.
1: Uh, well, I appreciate that. That's that's uh, one reason why I end up doing two podcasts, a full time job, three kids, a <laughs> wife, and uh, I don't get I only get paid for one of those things. Oh <laughs> <So>. wow. <laughs> All right, so you're you're based out of New York. And I am. You, and so how long have you been drumming? When did you pick up the drums, first of all? How old were you?
2: Well, I was uh, I was a little kid. I mean, not a little kid. I, I was 13. Okay. And, uh, you know, I was like a typical 13-year-old listening to lots of music, and the music that I was listening to uh, – a lot of it was rock, and there were a lot of great drummers in the music that I was checking out, like John Bonham okay. and Neil okay. Peart, and uh, and I was like, "Wow, this stuff is really cool, man!" I, and all I ever heard when I was listening to music usually was the drums. That was like what stood out. Okay, yeah. So I just started getting into it and asked my parents if I could take lessons, and you know they were totally supportive. And then I just started, you know, digging in. Oh,
1: that's- so, so, uh, what time period was this, uh, was it the eighties, nineties, but
2: this is like, uh, let's see, let me do a little quick math. This is like seventies. <laughs> this is like okay. mid seventies. Oh, cool. So okay. Like, yeah. Like, so when I grew up, like when I was a teenager, I grew up in Manhattan, right in New York city and in Chelsea was like located, uh, really close to Madison square garden. And Penn Station. So when I was a kid, when I was like in high school, I would go to Madison Square Garden and in the 70s at, at the garden, I saw Kiss and Queen and I saw, I saw Led Zeppelin at the garden in 1977 as you, a
1: kid. I have that bootleg if you want it. Oh man,
2: I do want it. <laughs>
1: well, get up with me. Yeah, get up with me. I'll I'll see if I can dig it out.
2: <laughs> there's a bootleg of of Zeppelin at the Garden in 1977.
1: Yeah, I'm. I, I know I've got from. Uh, I know I've got 73 and 70. I think 75 was what they used for. Song remains the same, I believe. And then 77. Yeah, I'm sure there's. If I don't have it, I'm sure there's one out there that I that I can source for you.
2: Oh, man, because I was there, man. Like, I don't remember that much of it, but I was definitely there.
1: That's a hell of a show. What what was the first show that you remember seeing?
2: Well, the first show that I ever saw, I I almost don't want to tell you because it was kind of embarrassing.
1: Oh, no. Now you got to tell me.
2: But I will tell you because that's the whole thing. (laughs) Um, The very first concert I ever went to in my young life was David Cassidy at Madison, Madison Square Garden. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was into it, man, because, you know, I was um, I was a big Partridge family uh, fan. And to me, like David Cassidy was like the ultimate rock star for me then. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. When he I was was a huge. Kid. Yeah, And Susan Day, I was really into Susan Day. Uh,
1: what guy wasn't back then? Holy I know. Man.
2: Gosh, she was so beautiful. Yeah. But I wanted to be David Cassidy, you know, like so. I went to that concert. I was like the only dude there, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) There were girls screaming. It was like the Beatles, man. Girls were screaming. It was crazy. I had the exact opposite
1: encounter for my first concert. I went to go see Rush in uh, 90 for the Presto tour, and that was all dudes.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. You can't get a girl to go to see a Rush concert with you unless, like, you know, she's – your wife, or she's like, you know, doing you a favor. Yeah, there's
1: some kind of obligation there.
2: <laughs> yeah, it has to be an obligation, or they won't, you know. And yeah, like my wife will be jazz and fusion shows with me, but there's like a joke about there's some running joke about how if you're a fusion musician, like you're not gonna ever get laid,
1: basically. <laughs> yeah, he'd pick the wrong genre. <laughs> So, all right. So, yeah, you. Uh, one of the first things that yeah. that you gained any notoriety for was winning a contest, the Modern Drummer magazine's first uh, drum solo contest. When was right. when was that? And and how did you how did you get and do that? And what was? Uh, I mean, was it a, an original solo that you played, or was it something uh, that, that you you covered somebody else's tune?
2: No, it was. Um, so it was nineteen eighty eight, and. Um, I had been like, I had gotten really serious about drumming at that point. And I was at drummers collective, which is this drum uh, school in New York city. Okay. And, uh, so I was practicing a lot. I was really digging in at that point. And yeah, I saw this thing in modern drummer and I was like a huge rush fan. And, you know, you were supposed to send in a cassette of you playing a drum solo, which was, couldn't be any more than two minutes. Okay. And, uh, you know, so the cassette part of it sort of lets you in on sort of how long ago this was. <laughs> yeah. And so I just went into a studio that a friend of mine had and I just ran some solos. I had a, I had a kind of an idea of what I wanted to do and I improvised a whole bunch of them and I just took the one that I thought was the best one and sent it in and, um, yeah. And lo and behold, The next thing I know, like a couple months later, is I got a letter in the mail from Neil Peart. Jeez. (laughs) And, um, you know, so it was kind of unbelievable, but it's, uh, you know, it's like Wayne Gretzky says, you you miss every shot that you don't take.
1: Exactly. So you were chosen out of, uh, I think it was almost 1,700 entries?
2: Yeah. I mean, just so to be clear, it wasn't, I wasn't like. There were three winners, and I was one of three winners. Still, so god, yeah, no, I mean it. It was it was kind of uh, feels like almost like it didn't really happen because it was you know it's like it seems like some kind of crazy dream.
1: Yeah, I and
2: um, but yeah, there was like seventeen hundred entries from around the world, and yeah, that was something, so, man. I
1: so do. You, first of all, do you still have the letter from Neil? Uh, I do, I do have it. Oh, yeah, awesome. and uh, what did you, what did you get for winning the
2: contest? Well, um, I got the drum set that Rush fans refer to as Chromie. Oh, really? Oh, so you know what that is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, for the people out there listening who don't know what that is, Chromie is the affectionate nickname that Rush fans gave. The Chrome Slingerland drum set—that was the first drum set that Neil played when he joined Russ. and it's the it's the drum set that is pictured on the cover of All the World. Man, All the World. That is. Um, I think I lost you for a second. Yeah,
1: I've got a. We've ha- we're having some weird weather issues here. It's it's raining and it's the the connection's going in and out a little bit. But uh, that's what editing's for. Okay, good. But, so you won the, the drum set that was that was on the cover of All the World's a Stage. Right. Man. Right. I I hate to ask the question, but do you still have
2: it? No, and actually but that there's a really good story to that. Oh you get okay. Um fire so away. I kept I kept it for a really long time. I, I kept it for over twenty years. Let's see, eighty eight, eight nine, 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 nine Yeah, over about twenty years. It was in my parents farmhouse, uh, upstate. Okay. And, you know, I have a, I have a drum education business here in New York called bang the drum school. And at the time, this is like around 2010, uh, something like that. Okay. Uh, at that time, the, the business had grown to the point where I needed to move it to a different physical space and I was going to move from Brooklyn into Manhattan and I needed some money to build out the space that I was going to rent and make it into a really sweet drum teaching studio. Okay. So I thought to myself, how am I going to get this money to do this thing? So I thought, oh, wow, man, I've still got those Neil drums. What if we sold them? Um, with the help of Main Drag Music, this great um, music retailer in, in Brooklyn, we put them on eBay and we sold them. And I and I got the money to, you know, build out my space and I got $25,000 for them. Wow. Well, I, I'd say that's worth it then. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Yeah. 25 grand. And Jeez. so my... My joke about it is that I played a drum solo and I got paid $25,000 for it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that Hey, you know what? I'll take that if, if uh, anybody wants to pay me anything for this podcast.
0: I'll yeah. gladly I take mean, it. It might take
2: 20 years. You don't have <laughs> to sell the podcast for 20 years and get 25000 but whatever.
1: Hey, you know, it's still more than I'm making now. <laughs> yeah. It's good money. Yeah. Yeah. So now you've done a lot work with a lot of different artists. Do you do a lot of, uh, do you do a lot of session work or are you just jamming with a lot of people?
2: Well, both. I, um, I do session work and, um, you know, there's not as much session work these days as there used to be, but there still is session work in, in, you know, places like New York where I am. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and I, and I jam with a lot of people and, um, Obviously, I have my own band, but, you know, one of the things that's fun about having a band like this is getting yourself out there and um, meeting other people and, you know, having it lead to different uh, musical adventures.
1: So besides the, the contest, taking, taking that contest out of the way, what was the first pain gig that you did that you, for a, that you ended up actually showing up on a recording?
2: The first... Time I got hired to play on a record it was sort of actually around the same time um it was like in the late 80s and it was interestingly enough it was a smooth jazz record Uh by a guy named Joe Taylor who was like he was I don't know he's probably not like on the tip of everyone's tongue now but he was actually a somewhat known smooth jazz guy back then. OK. And um, I don't really remember how I knew him. But it was like a friend of a friend or whatever. And he had a recording session. So He's like, hey, man, why don't you come down here? And um, and I did. And and then like a few months later, I remember I was at the gym and there was like the smooth jazz station on the radio. And I heard myself. Oh, wow. While I was at. Gym playing smooth
1: jazz. <laughs> They're playing smooth jazz at the gym?
2: Yeah, oh it was kind God. of weird. But it was cool because it was like, there, there's a thing about hearing yourself on the radio that's kind of like crazy and like hard to believe and awesome.
1: I can only imagine. I've heard that from a few people that it's just a, a kind of a very strange feeling. I can't even imagine what that's got to sound
2: like. Yeah, it's so, just a cool feeling. You're like, oh, wow,
1: that's me. I can't believe it. And there's a whole bunch of other people driving next to me or w- lifting weights next to me or whatever is listening to me. Right. Right. Man, I can't even imagine that. That's right. That's not those. Now at this time, were you, uh, you, are you actually, a, you're a graduate of Cornell and Columbia. Is that right?
2: Yes. Correct. So,
1: all right. So were you going to school at the same time where you were drumming in sessions or was did one happened before the other?
2: No. When I was in Cornell, I was, um, I was in some, like college bands and um that was kind of predated all of this stuff like the nineteen eighty eight stuff I I was in college before then. Okay. So so there wasn't really overlap there. When I was in college I was I wasn't actually as serious about music because you- Cornell is so hard, man. That school is so hard.
1: Yeah well that's what I was gonna say I mean, to you know you've you got to be a, a pretty intelligent student, a pretty pretty smart person to get into Cornell. And then you took it the next step further and got your master's in Columbia. What were you studying?
2: I have an MBA, believe it or not from Columbia. Yeah. That's crazy. What, what what subject or what was your uh, degree in? It was a, it was like a marketing concentration. And actually the funny thing is that it it is related to music. The reason I went and got that MBA was because right before that, I was in a bunch of bands. um, you know, I was playing professionally and I, uh, I was on a, I was in a band on a and and I was in a band uh-huh. on Arista and I was like, oh, this is it, man. I'm going to make it now. Like I thought I was a rock star. Yeah. And both of those bands got dropped. Uh. And then I was like, oh, man, this sucks. How am I going to make a living? So I kind of freaked out for a while and I went and I, I went to Columbia Business School and I got an MBA because I figured I needed to have some way to make money.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, having an MBA is a good way to do it.
2: Well, yeah, and it worked, you know. I got a job at a record company for a while, so I worked at Columbia Records for a while
1: after oh, that. Oh, wow. Okay, so, so you went to Columbia and then ended up working at Columbia Records.
2: Yeah, That's sort a... of weird, but yeah. <laughs> so
1: was working at Columbia Records, what kind of kick-started you back into drumming again, getting the, the fire going, or were you, uh, had, had that started before the job at Columbia? The,
2: well, the thing is, is that, I never stopped playing while I was working at Columbia, but because of the kind of job it was, it was never, um, I was not going to be able to pursue it with the kind of fear that you can when you're like truly full time and don't have any kind of day job. Okay. But it was a really fun place to be because I got to, you know, I got to work with and meet a lot of big artists and, So I was just kind of a music executive for a while, but it made sense because I was so into music, you know, like if I wasn't going to play drums, you know, working at a record company was a pretty cool job.
1: Oh, yeah. it's like the next best thing I would imagine.
2: That's what I was thinking. And then it wasn't. It was the next best thing for a long time. And then, you know, and then the Internet screwed all of that up, you know? Yeah.
1: You know, it really did. I mean, on on one hand, it's... Done some amazing things I like I can right now I can find you your 1977 Led Zeppelin show at the garden for, you know, in a, in a couple of keystrokes. But right. it's really screwed up the actual industry.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, here's the thing, though. The truth of the matter is the industry fucked up because they didn't know how to adjust. That's and they the point. tried. They tried to stop it. You know what I mean? But yeah. the tide was too strong. And so in a way, if the record companies had all gotten together and been like, oh, yeah, we're just going to make a streaming thing and we'll all share it, everything would have been fine. But instead, other companies that were, weren't record companies were the ones who figured that out and did that. And then the record companies suffered. Yeah. And that suffering was so intense that my job became untenable. And that's why I left. And I, so I left in 2006 and I, I dove back into drumming again.
1: And so when you dive back, into, uh, dive back into drumming, is that when you start working with people like Osnoy and G. Smith, uh, Joel Hextra, let's see who else? You, you ended up working with the Drifters and the Marvelettes. Is that when all those that are, started to
2: occur? Well, those are all different times, actually. So like the the Drifters, the Marvelettes, Mar- Marshall Crenshaw, um, those were – G.E. Smith, that was all sort of like pre-business school stuff. Okay. So the thing that was kind of ironic was that I was doing it at a pretty high level before I freaked out and decided <laughs> i to <didn't> make money. <laughs> yeah. So after that, you know, I, I just locked myself in a room after I quit that job in 2006. I actually just locked myself in a room for like three or four years and all I did was practice. Oh, wow. Cause I had money, like I had made money. So I saved money. I got paid out when I left and I was just like, okay, I don't have to work for a while. So I, I'm just going to get back to get my chops back together. So I was the guy who had, was in this practice room who everyone thought was insane because I was practicing for like seven hours a day for like four years. Wow.
1: That's
2: so, you know, crazy. I was psycho. Yeah. But in a good.
1: Way. Well, you know what? You, you bring that up. You, you, uh, one of the, uh, the guys who recommend, from what I'm reading, and you can tell me if this, how accurate this is. Uh, one of the guys that, that, uh, helped you when you first started out as a drummer was, uh, Kenny Arnoff. Is that right? Yeah. That, now that yeah. guy, I, I've seen, uh, the, um, uh, what was that movie? He was just in, um, Hired Guns. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Hired Guns. Yeah, That,
1: that was really good. So, so you've known him for quite a while then.
2: Yeah. So I met him on sort of my first big time recording session, which was that band that I mentioned before that was on A&M. Okay. So, so the, the way that happened was we were, um, it was decided that the person who was going to produce our record was this guitar player named Mike Wanchik and Mike Wanchik um, has been in Mellencamp's band for eons. Right. Yeah. And so Mike Wanchik lives in Bloomington, Indiana. And he was like, and Mellencamp has a studio there. Right. So we recorded at Mellencamp studio. Oh, cool. And, and this was when like, you know, so Kenny was still in Mellencamp's band then. And he lived in Bloomington. It was sort of a requirement. If you were going to play with Mellencamp that you lived there.
1: Ah, okay.
2: So what happened was the a guys were like, Oh yeah, man, you know, you got to use Kenny Aronoff on the record because no one knows who this guy, Mark Feldman is. and right so I almost got totally screwed but what happened was my singer Bruce Henderson stood up for me and he was like hey man this guy Mark is a really good drummer and he's my drummer you got to let him play on the record so what they did was they compromised and they said all right well we'll have Kenny play on all the songs that we think are going to be the hits (laughs) and we'll let Mark play on everything else oh god so which sounds sort of shitty yeah but the thing is is that I kind of made it into a good situation because I got to hang out with Kenny Aronoff for like a month and a half and make a record with him being there and me watching him and him helping me. You know what I mean? That's so,
1: fantastic.
2: So that was pretty cool. Yeah. That's really And he's awesome. the nicest guy. He's the nicest guy ever. And he recommended me for some stuff after that. So yeah, he's helped me a lot. He's a great guy, Kenny. Oh, really great guy.
1: That's and that's you know to get recommended by a guy of his stature in that in the business means a lot. So that's that's a ringing endorsement.
2: Yeah, so I couldn't ask for anything better than that, you know. So it's humbling, and uh, and I I'm still appreciative to this day that um, he you know put my name out there for some stuff.
1: Back to. 2006 or so when you lock yourself in a room for four years and start drumming is that when you you started to have the idea for the band that you're in now, level five
2: yeah it was a little after that because for a while I actually wanted to be a jazz drummer believe it or not like a straight up full on like straight ahead jazz drummer
1: Okay, so you started off as rock, played in some smooth jazz as your first uh, recording session. Go back to rock, and now you're kind of back into the jazz.
2: Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's... I had my own jazz trio then, actually. Oh wow. Um, and um, but then I kind of realized that like it was great that I did that because it's an important uh type of playing to get into your, uh, psyche and, and into your body, it helps you with everything else that you do. Okay. But ultimately like in my heart and soul, like being a straight ahead jazz drummer really wasn't me. Um, it was just like a fantasy I had that turned out to not be true to my heart. And so I started thinking about what really got me excited in music. And I remembered, all of the rock stuff that I loved and then I remembered that I loved those two jeff Beck albums blow by blow and wired oh yeah those and that those records made me crazy
1: those are fantastic well, i mean there's hard it's hard to pick a bad jeff Beck record but those those are classics
2: right right so now i mean I, there, there might be a bad jeff Beck record but I won't say
1: it <laughs> uh, especially not to him okay here he's got a bit of a temper I don't think he's coming on Is my podcast. I, Is
2: that
1: heard, true? Yeah, I've heard he. I've heard he can blow up. But, oh uh, wow! But I, you know, I, I don't. I don't know from any firsthand experience. But I don't think he's coming on my show anytime soon. So you know,
2: you never know, man. <laughs> you never you know.
1: That's true. That's true. Now, around that time, I, I saw a video, and you could, I'm not sure exactly when it was taken, but I saw a video of you drumming to Soundgarden's "Black
2: Rain." Oh, right. Oh, you saw that? You watched that?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. You're you're spot on. Oh, thanks, man. So how did did that come about? That was an audition for Soundgarden after Matt Cameron decided to stick with Pearl Jam?
2: Was that yeah, what that was? but the thing was is like no one asked me to do it. What happened was I read, you know, I was reading. I love Soundgarden and I loved Mac Cameron, and I heard that Mac Cameron was going to tour with Pearl Jam that particular year. I think it was like 2014 or something. Yeah, and and Pearl and Pearl Jam. I don't know why he. I would have never picked Pearl Jam, and I would have definitely picked money. Soundgarden. If I
1: had yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with money oh, yeah. for that.
2: <laughs> Right. So, all right. So the guy's smart, right? And, <laughs> but I thought, okay, Soundgarden, man, that shit is right up my alley. Like I thought, cause that's like the perfect combination of sort of weird time signatures, but slamming kind of bottom playing, you know, like yeah. I thought, oh man, I could kill this. So I was like, how do I get this gig? So I said, all right, I'm just going to make a, a video and I'm going to send it to their management. So figured out that Gary Gersh was their manager. Now, Gary Gersh, you know, he's he signed Nirvana. Like, he used to be an A&R guy.
1: Oh, okay. And then right. he
2: became – so he's like a heavy guy. That he's managing them. Yeah, yeah. And I made this video, and I was like, okay, this is pretty good. I'll to send this to them. And um, and I didn't hear anything. And so then I, I called one of my friends who I, I used to work with at Columbia Records, like, who was my boss. I'm not going to mention his name. Yeah, no. But He was like kind of a high level guy. And he I said, hey, man, can you help me? Like he so he called Gary Gersh and Gary Gersh checked out the video. And then he started emailing me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So emailing me the kind of the vibe of the emails was, hey, Mark, I um, you know, I'm going to Seattle this weekend to meet with a band. I'm not sure where they are with their drummer situation, but I'll keep you in the loop. And I was like, "Okay, that's pretty cool. That means yeah. that they're thinking of me." Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then I started learning all of their stuff. You know, <laughs> I had this teacher who I went to, this guy named John Riley, who's like a great jazz drummer. Okay. And I said, "What should I do?" And he goes, "You better start learning their shit, man, because you might, you might get an audition." <laughs> yeah. So, so the bottom line is, the end of the story is that it's not a happy ending for me. They, you know, they they hired um, Matt Chamberlain, yes, who's a great great session drummer, and was and you know he knows them. They they were friends with him. Yeah, he jumped in so, Pearl Jam for a, a minute or two, right? Like he did a lot of things for a minute or two. Like he was like Saturday Night Live's drummer for a minute or two. Oh gosh, I oh. mean he's he he's played on tons of records. He's a great drummer. Like I I, I have you know. Obviously, I wish I could have gotten an audition, but I understand why. That's what happens. They they pick their friend who they know can do it. Yep. And but I'm, to me, it's a good story because I was on the list, and to me, that's like, that's pretty good.
1: It's yeah. I mean, and you, you like you said, you got uh, you're in communication with Gary Gersh, and and he's such a, a you know a name that uh, having him know who you are. Can do nothing but good for you.
2: Yeah. There you go. So i didn't get I didn't get to do it, but I came close. So as you know, Maxwell Smart once said, missed it by that much, ninety-nine. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: That's the first Maxwell Smart impression we've had on the show.
2: So All right. Well, awesome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you successful on that one? So that's fantastic. Right. All right, good. <laughs> so, when did you start jamming with uh, Oz and uh, Will Lee, and and getting everybody together for for the band you're in now, Level Five?
2: Well, what happened with that was, um, I I've always loved Oz's. You know, Oz is kind of like a local hero in New York. I mean, he's known around the world as, yeah. a, as a great guitar player. Um, But in New York, you know, he's got this thing at the Bitter End, which is like the oldest rock club in New York City on Bleecker Street. Okay. And he's basically he's got kind of like a weekly gig there. And and I used to go all, all the time because I love his playing. He's like one of my favorite guitar players of all time. And his band, he always had the great players in his band. So when Keith Carlock, the drummer, lived here, who now plays in Steely Dan, Right. Right. Um, right. So that guy's a heavyweight. So he was a New York guy. He moved to New York to sort of try to get his thing happening. And he used to play with Oz a lot. So I used to go to hear him because he's so great. It's inspiring to hear him play. And Will would play with them. And, you know, so I started thinking, man, I really want to have a band like that. And I was trying to figure out how can I do this because I don't write music. And so I I met Oz. I wound up meeting Oz through a friend of mine, a bass player named Margaret La Bombard, okay. who's a she's a great New York bass player and a really good friend of mine. And and I was like, yeah, I really want to play with Oz. And she's like, shut up. She's like, I know Oz. She goes, so I used to go out with him. <laughs> that sounds so New York. <laughs> shut up. And I, was I know like, him. What? Yeah, it's like shut up. And I was like, what? She goes, yeah, I used to date him. I was like, shut oh. up. <laughs>
1: Man, I I used to live in New Jersey, so this is – I know exactly what you're talking about.
2: Right, you get the lingo. Yeah. So I was like, cool. So I was like, I love Oz. I really want to play with him. So one day, like a few months later, Margaret calls me up and she's like, you won't believe what I'm going to fucking tell you. And I was like, what, what, what? She goes, well, she goes, Oz is doing a guitar clinic at the Fender showcase place. I forget where it was. It was like a crazy Fender – Showcase area they had in Midtown. Okay, Oz is going to do this clinic, and he needs a rhythm section to back him up, and I'm going to play bass, and you're going to play drums. And I was like, "Shut up!" (laughs) (laughs) So we did that. I got so I got to play with him, and then you know I became friendly with him, and then I thought to myself, "Why don't you just have Oz write songs for you? You don't. I don't write music. I needed to have music to." have a place for this band to take off from. So okay. I called him and I asked him if he would compose for me. And he said, yes. Oh, wow. And yeah, so that was great. So he wrote a bunch of songs for me, which were really great. And then I thought, okay, I still don't even have a band. Hmm. I wonder if Oz will play on them. So I called Oz. I was like, Oz, would you play on this stuff? And he was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, <laughs> awesome. And then I thought, okay, I need a bass player. Hmm. I was like, hmm, Oz plays with Will. So I called Oz. I was like, hey, Oz, do you think Will would play with us? And he's like, yeah, here's his number. You know, write him or call him or whatever. So I was like, okay. So I reached out to Will. And I was like, hey, Will, I'm doing this thing with Oz. And he was like, yeah, sure. So Will said yes. So everyone's saying yes to me. Like, I'm thinking, like, I'm scared to call these people at first, you know?
1: Yeah. And he says yes.
2: So it's like, it's a good lesson in like, doing stuff that you want to do and not being scared of like going for it.
1: That's, that's fantastic. And the, the songs are, fa- are great. And uh, you've just released, is it, has it come out officially? Uh, the Sybil yeah. EP? Okay. Awesome. Yeah. It
2: came out, it came out in, uh, February 22nd and it came out.
1: Oh, cool. Okay. So, yeah. so I can actually talk about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. Cause I was listening to it, listening to it for a while now and The first song, there's three tracks on the EP, Sybil, Swagger, and Jabberjaw. And Sybil is my favorite. I mean, that song is amazing. It's it's aptly named for sure because it just on a beat, it just goes from this this awesome like jazzy jam to this heavy, heavy song. Right, right. How hard is it for you to make that transition? It's
2: actually, um, it's not that hard, really. You just you just have to, because really all it is is, I mean, it's not as hard uh, for me as it is for the other guys. I think for the guitar player, it's really hard because he's got to play. If you listen to that track, Oz is playing like a sort of like a wah-wah kind of thing for the funk part. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he flips it into a distorted heavy guitar riff. So for him, it's gotta be hard. <laughs> but for me, all I have to do is I had a little more and play harder for the second part. So it's not that hard for me, but yeah, it's tricky for the other guys.
1: Yeah. Like it's, it, it sounds great. It's just, I wasn't expect. And even with the name Sybil, I wasn't expecting the, the, the quick change like that. It, it, it's, it's so great. It's actually, it's one of the best songs that I've heard in, in this, this year. It's it's oh uh, thanks, man. Oh, Thank it, you so much. Oh it's my it's it's the truth. It's really quick. It's if I had a working CD player in my car right now, I'd be listening to it all the time. But mine broke and I got six CDs jammed in there that I can't get out. So.
2: Oh, that sucks.
1: But that's that's a whole that could be another podcast. Yeah,
2: podcast. you get a coat hanger. I bet you a coat
1: hanger will do it. I uh, probably, but I want to keep the CDs in good in relatively working order. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> but now seen a bunch of the uh the live level 5 videos on YouTube and it's a, it's a different band when you play live yeah is that just well, because of Oz's schedule or is uh, why why a different band for studio
2: well, and live Oz has played I actually have had Oz play live with us a few times and um and it was great it was, Oz is always great he played great the the thing is is that you know he's so in demand that he's out on the road and he's you know in sessions and so like the issue was just if i wanted to have a stable unit to play live and develop stuff i knew at a certain point i thought i was gonna have to have some other guys involved okay and and that's the only reason why you know it's sort of like this the same concept is like not to compare this band to Steely Dan, but like, you know, a band like Steely Dan has whoever they need to have on the record and then whoever right. they get who's great to tour with them, they do that. So as long as the level of musicianship is up to snuff, you can make it work.
1: Okay, that makes sense. And I've also noticed that you have a lot of different original songs uh, that that you're playing live. Gonna, is there going to be a, a full-length LP coming soon or another EP with some more tracks
2: on it? Yeah, there's definitely going to be another record, and I'm starting to think about what to do. Um, there are a whole bunch of other Oz composed tracks that we're playing live that are not on the EP that just came out. Oh, cool. So I'm sort of, yeah, so I'm just trying to figure out uh, what the vibe of the next record should be and who's going to produce it and then um you know so it's all coming together but yeah there's a lot of good there's a lot of good possibilities floating around right now
1: the any possibilities of any jeff beck covers
2: wow that's a good idea (laughs) i didn't think of that
1: (laughs) Some maybe something off of wired or blow by blow
2: (laughs) oh that's a good idea I thank you for that hey
1: no problem (laughs) um anything i can do to help man my pleasure
2: yeah, I so, mean, what would you want
1: to hear? Oh, well, you know, honestly, I'll tell you what, I I actually like a couple of the tracks off of his Guitar Shop album. I've, I've been revisiting that one a lot.
2: Oh, wow, I haven't listened to that in a while. That's yeah. a great
1: record. Uh Big Block and Where Were You are two of my favorites off that album, so this, those are... Oh,
2: I should check that out.
1: Those, yeah, Where Were You is beautiful. I mean, he, the way he, even live, it just, I don't know, it's, it's actually one instrumental song that can almost, almost bring me to tears, so it's it's just... That's just one of my favorite songs of all time. But Big Block is a really cool, heavy jam. I like that a lot. So
2: those, oh, yeah, those, I remember that. Yeah, those would be my Jeff Beck so cool.
1: recommendations.
2: Because <laughs> that was also one of the first albums that I ended up right. buying on my own. Oh, wow. All right, so you and I are cut from the same cloth, my friend.
1: Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Uh, we could probably... I mean, hell, after this, we could talk forever about uh, new bands coming up. I've heard, I've heard some amazing stuff um in fact i i've I've been very lucky with this show that i've been able to talk to and yourself included some incredible drummers Uh, and oh wow i've had you on i've had uh jerry gaskell from king's x um
2: oh wow great
1: yeah ryan van puderoyen from devin townsend um wow yeah i've had some some amazing people on on this show and and it's 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 so it's so fascinating to hear some of the common threads that that go through some of these shows like uh some of the things everybody's sacrificed in order to to make it where they are and and to get albums out it's it's one of the reasons why I love doing this show is because the stories are so fantastic even if there's a common thread though the stories are always unique and it's right. like your like your story of, of going to school and getting an MBA and then working actually in the industry on the administrative side is is one I haven't had from anybody yet so it's, that's a really cool story so oh, thanks I, I'm that's one of the reasons I just love talking to people about uh, some of the wild times uh, interesting stories that they've they've uh, experienced in their life so that being said you guys uh, when you, on the album and live you just you, you shift genres in, in the middle of a song um, if you're doing it live I mean Maybe it's a, it's a song you guys are working on. Is there is there a, a leader? Does someone work out the direction the song is going to go beforehand, or is it an improv kind of a thing?
2: Yeah, the, the songs that have those kind of twists and turns, um, at least so far in our performances, those twists and turns are pretty well mapped out in advance. Okay. So we know what's going to happen. Like there's this one song that Oz wrote for me um, which is called Opus One. You may not have heard it. It's like, we haven't recorded it, but there's like some video on our YouTube channel of us playing it.
1: Okay, I think I may have seen that one.
2: And it goes from like a real weird, like mellow thing to a heavy, heavy, slower, like sort of grind core stoner rock thing in seven. And then it goes back. And then there's a weird drum solo with- with all these insane like hits in between it, like a big band thing. <laughs> and uh, my wife hates that song. <laughs> <laughs> that's, Cause you, she, it, 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 she thinks it's too weird. And but, like other people seem to love it. That's it's called kind of opus thing. one. I'll, I'll, I'll
1: have to go back and, and see if that's the one I was thinking of. Cause that's the kind of stuff I love when songs take these weird turns and you you, you drop in these weird beats and, and, and stuff. I, I love it. That's, my favorite drummers just—they're always they're always doing something unexpected in the middle of a song, and, and that's as well. A, this
2: one is just like this one is just so weird that it's kind of like, how do I get through this song without <laughs> it falling apart? So you'll right. like—you'll probably like it.
1: I'm going to have to pull the audio off of that and use it in this show. I'm talking about it now. I, I think I, I want everybody to, to experience a little bit of it. If, it.
2: if oh, I would love for that. That would be so awesome.
1: Well, awesome. Man, I know I've kept you here for a while. I know you've got a, a young child at home and it's getting late. Where, where can everybody find the music? Where can they follow you on social media and keep track of what you're doing and where you're playing?
2: Sure. Well, we have a website. The website is, called, is just level5music.com. The word level, the number 5 music.com. We're on Facebook. If you look up Mark Feldman's Level 5, you'll find us on Facebook. You'll find us on Twitter. You'll find us on Instagram, all of those crazy places. And then (laughs) to keep the record, you know, we're on all the streaming services. So, you know, Spotify, iTunes, et cetera, et cetera. If you search for Mark Feldman's Level 5, you'll find us.
1: Oh, perfect, perfect. Well, thank you so much.
2: All right, Mark. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. No problem. My pleasure. I appreciate you coming on, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you later, buddy.
0: Achieve the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. What's your Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> I love I love right there. From airship.